Hey guys, Jordan Harbinger here, former host of The Art of Charm and current host of The Jordan Harbinger Show, because I'm really creative with naming my new show, apparently. And now, I'm helping out a good friend of mine, Peter Huseth, with his podcast, Millennial Highway. You're listening to Millennial Highway. This is the podcast of your generation. You're on the highway of life, so why not join us in the fast lane? Hi guys, Peter Huseth here. If you haven't checked out Jordan Harbinger's show, it's awesome. I even try to model my podcast after his. So today's show, I interview Mr. Simon Cohen. Simon is the former founder and managing director of Global Tolerance, which is the world's leading communications organization in the faith arena. This guy is so incredible, he has worked with the Dalai Lama, Gandhi's grandson, and the Board of World Religious Leaders. The depths we dive into in this episode are truly extraordinary. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Um... So, uh, Simon, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a dad to two beautiful girls, Seren and Raya. Um, I am an optimist. Um, and I believe that what happens inside manifests out. So there's a lovely saying that whether you think you're right or wrong, you're right. And so I believe in the power of positive thinking and optimism. Um, I've got a beautiful wife, Kate. I live on a clifftop in Cornwall, which is in the southwest of the UK, surrounded by about 200 beaches. Um, I work with a Tibetan Buddhist master and um, also I'm a broadcaster and journalist. That's that's awesome. That's an awesome background. Um, What... If you could describe what you do or your purpose for life in one sentence, I know it's kind of a hard question, but how would you, uh, what would it be? I think my purpose is to multiply, to try to set off a disproportionate impact in people's lives and to illuminate the deep connections between us all. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so Simon, what do you mean by, or actually before I ask you that, um, was there a certain event that allowed you to become a more positive thinker and optimist or have you always been an optimist? It's a really good question. Um, have I always been optimistic? I think I've always been uh, quite extroverted and chirpy. Um, and solutions driven rather than problem driven. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I guess it's in my, I guess it's in my nature, but I also in, in recent years in terms of studying and learning about the science of happiness, um, I'd like to think that even if I had been a cynic or a pessimist, that I'd still be an optimist now because I, I would understand the power of optimism and the power of positive thinking. I can't say that there was one individual thing that happened in my life that shifted me towards optimism. What, um, what's for our listeners, how do we, like, we always hear this positive psychology and, and optimism, but sometimes it's, it's hard to adopt that uh, mentality. So 
what would be a good tip to kind of just get started on this positive thinking uh, philosophy or psychology? Well, one thing to do is to think of others. You know, Nelson Mandela is a really good example. This year is going to be um, the year when he would have turned 100 years old. And so um, in the spirit of Mandela, if you think that he had to spend years and years and years away from his family, away from his children uh, in jail. And he said that he was an optimist. And he said that part of being an optimist is keeping one's head moving, so one, keeping one's feet moving forwards and one's uh, head pointed towards the sun. There were many dark moments when my faith in humanity was tested but I could not, I would not give myself up to defeat for that way lays death. So I think that one thing to start off on optimism is to think of other people who are less fortunate than ourselves. And there are many. Um, the very fact that we get to reflect on what it means to be a millennial, the power of positive thinking, means that we've got a lot of freedoms that some people who are struggling to meet their basic human needs they don't have that freedom to be deep thinkers and doers so one way is to think about to get over and out over get over ourselves get out of our own lives and our own perspectives and think about others less fortunate than us and i think that when we do that what happens is that appreciation gratitude um, begins to naturally emerge for the freedoms that we experience right now. So when, when you started, uh, what, what's your, why, why are you so drawn to religion as a means to like inspiring hope in people or like, why, why are you talking to all this religious leaders versus like, um, maybe like the billionaires that have like all money and that could pour money into organizations or what, what basically, what's your reasoning for going after the Dalai Lama and all these and the Sikhs and all those people? Um, well, as we were discussing before this interview, you know, there's, there's, there's loads that we can do in the shallows. We can mess about, we can talk about the latest thing on Netflix, we can have small talk we can mess about in the shallows but I've never been interested in that I'd much rather be out there in the depths in the deep water exploring uncharted territory I've always been interested in those big questions about what's the meaning of life what does it mean to be really wealthy who's wealthier a billionaire who's bloody miserable or um, someone who, who meets their basic human needs but gets to stay at home with their family all day. Who's the wealthier person? Who's a success? What happens when we die? And, you know, there are these big, big questions. And the thing is that religious and spiritual communities have got a specialism in the depths, a specialism in asking these big questions. And that's why I studied theology at college. It's why I worked with a lot of religious and spiritual leaders and communities all over the world. I'm not religious myself. I know I never have been, but I am still to this day fascinated by the power of faith in people's lives. And, and 
I admire any community, including the millennial highway people, <laughs> you know, anyone who, who, who looks at the big questions about what's important and what's of value in life. Um, going back to what you were saying about um, who's wealthier, the billionaire who's bloody yeah. rich but, or, but miserable, versus the person who's making their basic human need versus like family and everything. You know, before yeah. we started this uh, podcast, you went and hung up and went and hugged your daughter and everything. So my question to you is, would you consider yourself wealthy, not in like a monetary sense, but just in the sense of the word wealthy? Yeah, I feel like the wealthiest guy in the world. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two beautiful children. And when I say beautiful, I mean inside first and foremost, as well as outside. Um, we're healthy. We have our basic human needs met. Um, that's the greatest wealth that there is. Well, the greatest wealth is really appreciating what, what I have and what we have. Because we can also have these things, all these great relationships and um, colleagues and houses and cars and other things. But unless we actually stop to appreciate them and express gratitude for them, then we're not really um, investing or capitalizing on that wealth. And it actually becomes a liability because we think, why am I happier? Because I've got all of these things, but I'm not really happy. Um, so I think that appreciation is uh, a key to being non-materially wealthy. And every day, uh, three times a day, when you sit down and have breakfast, lunch and dinner with the family, we light a candle and all of us take turns, including our, our three-year-old and our four-year-old girls, to say something that we're thankful for. Um, and I think that that's what it means to be truly wealthy is to appreciate what we have, not what we could have. Instead of uh, going out and only focusing on yourself, it's better for not just you, but for everyone else to put others first and realize the wealth in others. And then in return, it reciprocates and you, have, you find wealth in yourself, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. And I think that scientists would agree with that as well. That the best thing that you and I can do to focus, if, if you want to be happy strategically, so not just morally, strategically, the best thing that you can do is focus on someone else's happiness. And so a happy byproduct of focusing on someone else's happiness is your own sense of happiness and well-being rises. So absolutely, I agree with that. But I think the motivation is key. And what I'm searching to, to, to uh, contribute to someone else's happiness. And as a result, I happen to be happy rather than, I know, I want to be really happy. So I'm going to go and do something all right for someone else. And then I'll be happy. Because right. I'm not sure it quite, quite works like that. Because when you, when you do something like that, you're already subconsciously saying to yourself that you're not happy. And so going out and trying to be happy, you, you might never feel that void of happiness. Well, I, I think that, that the, the other key to being wealthy and to, to really appreciating um, 
is to be present. And if I'm focusing on my own happiness rather than someone else's, then I'm not fully present with that person. There's a, um, there's a, uh, a lovely little mantra that I heard someone say, which is, um, hear this now. And he says this to himself, whenever he goes into a new environment or speaks to someone, he just says, hear this now. And it's, it's a reminder to himself to be fully present for this person um, that I'm about to meet or this new place that I'm going to be or this new experience. So I'm not bringing with it my own expectations for my own happiness. I'm not thinking about losing a football game last night. I'm not thinking about how I'm going to, uh, what's it gonna, what I'm going to be doing at the weekend. It's hear this now. And I think that that's another symbol and symptom of a wealthy person. Um, I was watching your uh, TED talk and I forgot what the title of it was, but I remember the, the big point that you made and it was about PR, you know, not just public relations, but personal relations. Yeah. Uh, can you go and, I mean, you may have already did, just did, but do you think that kind of correlates with everything you just said, the personal relations, or is there something more to that? Um, well, I think that personal relations is, is, is a type of communications that remembers to be human, <laughs> not objectifying people, um, but finding the, 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 the deep connections between us. So, you know, we could talk about um, millennial highways and millennials, like they're this amorphous socio-demographic group that are really interesting for marketing purposes and marketers. And that would be the, the PR approach. What's the big buzz on, on millennials? What's trending right now for millennials? That's you a traditional that <laughs> so you, you have that information for me? Yeah, all the... I'm kidding. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, Peter, go ahead. Peter you, I'm, I'm 38 years old. There's no way I've got that information. <laughs> um, 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 the, the personal relations approach would, would look at millennials through a, a single human lens. So, for example, speaking to other millennials and finding out their, their, their vulnerabilities, their fears, their loves, their hopes, their passions, their dreams, and then extrapolating from that precious human story to millennials per se. So, and what a beautiful way to sort of tell the story of millennials is through, through, through the kind of conversations that go into the depths like we were speaking about before, not messing about in the shallows, going to really those questions that matter the most about what it means to be wealthy, what it means to be successful, what it means to grow, what it means to be kind, what it means to be a good human being. How do we survive on this planet with everything that's going on in the world? Those courageous conversations. And I think if those conversations can be curated and convened in a sensitive and compelling manner, then that's the most powerful form of communications. That's what personal relations is, is powerful, persuasive communications through the lens of a human heart. Um, my, my question is, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, and this, this sounds like a really cool concept, but like, like public relations, you know, you're kind of, you have your targeting 
or you have your target audience and you, you basically market your campaign and everything. How do you get personal with the wide or a mass amount of people um, through, because like I would think that if you get personal, you talk to people one-on-one, -on -one. how do you bring that one-on-one -on -one in depth, like not in the shallows uh, conversation or idea to someone that you may not even be meeting or someone you may not even be seeing at that moment? Yeah. So let, let, tell me something that's happening in the millennial world and we'll try and come up with an example together. Okay. Um, let, let me think for a moment. A big thing um, I'm noticing is one big generational problem is that people will instead invest in themselves or others that they tend to just watch the Netflix binge or look at their Exes Snapchat stories for three hours, replaying them over and over and again. And I feel like that's something so petty and something such a waste of time that they could just be doing it something else. So how would I get that message across to people? Let's let's figure that out. And and to do it in a in a cool way that spreads buzz and also gets a human story across. Yeah. Right. So for, so for example, you might get a group of other people like you who share that same concern and set the same passion. And maybe you're interested in things like having these sorts of conversations. And so maybe you start something called a Netflix campaign, yeah? And where it focuses on the stories of you while, while everyone else is watching Netflix, you and your friends are filming, having these courageous conversations. It's personal relations because you're turning a camera on these courageous conversations, they're real conversations, not the type of things that you may feel that people are watching on Netflix. In Netflix, you're getting exposure to a different type of conversation, a different type of broadcasting, a different type of movement. So just by you taking the Netflix and turning it into Netflix and and something else, um, I think it's just like one one idea that you could you could run with. I love that. You know, maybe in the next few months, you'll see Netflix ads popping up everywhere. And <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what inspired you to help people so much? You know, I know it sounds cynical, but why not just help yourself? We may have already answered this, but... Um, well, actually, in my, in, my, in my advertising, my days in advertising, um, when I worked at an agency... Um, I wasn't very happy. Um, I was in a sales position. I was doing pretty well in, uh, in terms of the sales figures and the company car and all of that stuff, but I wasn't happy. And actually, I started looking into non-profit projects and things as a means of trying to... Trying to find some kind of meaning or purpose beyond going for a drink at lunchtime, selling stuff to people that didn't like this kind of vacuous existence that I was, that I was living. And I found a real motivation and drive and satisfaction of um, working towards serving others. Um, and it's kind of addictive I've got quite an addictive personality. Anyway, I don't know how much of my background you've, you've looked into, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a beautiful and brilliant thing. I think, as we've discussed before, it's important to always try to check 
motivations and ensure that I'm there and we're there really in the spirit of service and serving them rather than serving myself or serving others. But also, as we discussed before, the best thing that I can do for my own happiness is to focus on other people's happiness. The two aren't mutually exclusive. They're interdependent. Okay, I got three last questions for you. You can make them quick if you want to. I know you got to get out of here. But um, the first one is, do you think like helping for your helping others works for you? You know, do you think that's more of a personality trait of you? Or do you think everyone, you know, across the planet should put others first? And then, because I think the ultimate goal is for them to help other people. So should they kind of, should they put themselves first and then put them and then help others or should they do the opposite? I'm, I'm not a fan of the conditional tense of saying that people should, could or would do anything. Um, I'm most interested in trying to model the values and the virtues that I feel are important for me in this world. Um, I also believe that we are social beings we're part of a human species a global family and i feel a a responsibility not just to my human family but also animals as well to do the best that i can for our collective condition Um, and i see it as part of my role to awaken and illuminate that in others and if they then choose to follow suit awesome you, uh, I went over your website for uh, before I, I talked to you to get it. You were the one. What? Okay. <laughs> Nothing is a joke. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, uh, you you put on there like you like to have deep questions, and you've been talking about this as as our conversation is going. Um, but one of those deep questions is who inspires you to be yourself? To me, to be my best self. Best self. Yeah. I should yeah. Um, and what you're asking that of me. Yes. Who, who inspires you to be your best self? Yeah. Um, several people. I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, my, my wife, Kate does, uh, my mum, my two children, absolutely my two children. Um, and my good friends collectively, um, challenge me to be the best person that I can be because I love them so much and I through that love feel a responsibility to honor that love through being the best that I can be um, also there's a kind of a whisper of conscience my I also challenge and inspire me to be my best self and I think that Um, the greatest motivation will always come from within rather than from external people or conditions. Um, And so, yeah, I I challenge myself a lot. And I slip up and I'm not perfect, um, but I'm also on the path of progress. Okay. Uh, Kind of adding on to that question, do you think... um, by inspiring yourself within and putting others first, uh, do you think that's what it means to really lead people? I think that if I don't have my own um, 
house in order, then I could end up leading people astray. And I think that we're we're seeing um, we're seeing that at the top of your government. Um, that when there's not necessarily a great deal of self-awareness, um, then even with the greatest amount of power, um, can end up harming a lot of people. So I think that self-awareness and self-compassion are absolutely key to leading responsibly. Anyone can lead, it's just whether or not we lead responsibly and lead in a in a um, lead in a positive direction. Um, but I also think that, that a big part of leadership is humility as well, and sometimes that means saying no and stepping down and choosing someone to follow. Wow, that was some intense stuff. Thanks for listening to Millennial Highway. Remember, the meaning of happiness is doing for others. So share this podcast so others can benefit from it. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Peter Hughes.